Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. This is episode 35, and Connie, our ADHD advocate, is going to tell us all about Richard Dad. Hey. 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 (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we've all heard this saying, there's a thin line between genius and insanity. We've heard of the tortured artist persona, and I use artist as like blanket description for musicians, painters, sculptors, movie stars. Some of the most creative artists suffer some from some sort of mental illness. For example, Edvard Munch, famous for the scream. He suffered from hysteria, hypochondria, anxiety, hallucinations, which actually is where the scream painting originated from. He was that which on a is walk. all like old timey like mm-hmm. descriptions. Yeah, I don't know old timey diagnoses. Um, for like our generation, I think, I think tortured artists, I think of like Heath Ledger and I think of like how he like threw himself into the Joker role. Like, yeah, obviously absolutely. did not end well. Vincent Van Gogh suffered from extreme anxiety and depression. He is quoted as saying, I put my heart and soul into my work and I lost my mind in the process. He died at 37 from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Again, tortured artist. And I know that even in my own experience, my anxiety improves in situations where I can be creative. We were just talking about this, um, even doing this podcast, even though it's not like the lightest content for me to research, it in a way it grounds me and it calms like all the noise that goes on in my brain when I can like sit and just focus on this because it's something that I'm interested in. So you're probably wondering why I'm talking about like historic artists, mental health. Um, I started researching this episode in May. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. I think I mentioned that before, but just that's where my brain was going when I started researching this. Um, And I came across this pretty unique case and it's a little different than what I usually cover. So bear with me because I think it's pretty cool. I mean, the case itself is not cool, but (laughs) But the story, the the tale. Richard Dad was born on August 1st, 1817 in Chatham in Kent, England. His father, Robert Dad, was a chemist. His mom, Mary Ann, um, was a daughter of like a shipmaker. His dad was a chemist by trade, but um, his hobbies were geology and he was a fossil hunter, which was cool. pretty cool. Made my nerd brain like, oh, that's so awesome. He was the fourth of seven children, but when he was seven, his mom, Marianne, died. Nothing like real, like just natural causes in the 1800s. That was normal length of your life then. He was a student in the King's School in Rochester, where he was noticed early on for his skills in drawing. His dad eventually remarried, but she also died in 1830, so his stepmom also died. Yeah. The year following his stepmom's passing... Richard graduated from the King's School at the age of 14, and he drew some self-portraits, and one of them is pretty popular. I'm going to put it on our Instagram just to show you, like, how talented he was because it, like, at such a young age, it was insane. Like, I think of my self-portrait where you do, like, the almond-shaped eyes and the weird, (laughs) like, infinity sign for the nose. That's not what his look like. (laughs) Like, Natty, a little bit. I saw it. I was like, damn. It's pretty good, buddy. His dad decided to that this was the time, you know, I've had two wives that passed away. My son just graduated school. I'm going to turn my passion for geology and fossil collecting into a full-time second job. 
So he founded the Chatham and Rochester Philosophical Institute. It's a local museum in 1928. So this is a couple years before, I'm sorry, this is a couple years before um, his stepmom passed away. Okay. The museum that he curated wasn't very successful. So in 1834, and I'm sorry, I said 1928, but I meant 1828. Yeah, I thought. I was, <laughs> wow. It was really old. It, when jumped. This it was very successful, though. <laughs> 1828. I apologize. So in 1834, he packed up the entire family, Richard included, and moved to London. It is believed that the move was made with Richard in mind because London was the hub at the time for artistic institutions. Robert shifted gears from museum curation to selling artistic supplies and applying gilding to frames, which is like the gold around like old frames. Mm -hmm. Three years after moving to London, Richard became a student in the Royal Academy of Arts. During his time at the Royal Academy, he became the center of a group of artists who were labeled the clique. Which the I click. got, I got major Dead Poet Society vibes <laughs> yeah, when I was reading about that. Kind of adorable. <laughs> also, would, before you move on, can you believe that gilding picture frames was a job? Like that was a trade. Yeah, that's crazy to me. Okay, sorry. Yeah, go on. So the clique would get together. They would challenge each other to paint scenes from like works from their favorite writers, such as Shakespeare. And Richard was the quote undisputed leader in the group. He was recognized as one of the rising stars of the Victorian artistic world. So he's like the real deal. He's doing okay. Yeah. By the early 1840s, Richard had began to transition himself from student to professional artist. He wanted to be recognized as a Lord Byron persona who, younger listeners, or if you're just not into history, <laughs> he was an English poet. Um, his famous works were, I mean, Don Juan. That's like the big one. He was considered a romance era rock star. He had this persona that was like a mixture of affectionate sweetness and silent rages of moody sullenness. So it's like a, you know, I'm doing this look and like no one can see it, but it's like a, eh. and like, so Richard wanted that. He wanted all of the mystery. He wanted to be this dangerous man without the, the drama. Yes. He did not want the scandals. So he marketed himself very carefully and very well. He said that he wanted to be interesting, not infamous. Instead of having this outward wild man persona, he channeled all of that into his work. He leaned on his Royal Academy roots, and in 1941, his first piece was an illustration of a scene from A Midsummer's Night's Dream called Titania Sleeping. From here, most of his work was of fairies, fairy lore, and even though, I know, I even though he wasn't making a lot of money from these pieces, he was getting his name out there, which most artists like, I, that's, that's the hardest you part. Do. That's the hardest part is like getting people to be like, Hey, going to call that guy. Everything changed for Richard in 1842 when he was asked by Sir Thomas Phillips accompany him on a trip through Europe and the Middle East to document pictures of his travels. So he wasn't going to get paid for his work, but it was more of a trade. Like, hey, I'm going to take you around this. I'm going to take you around the world. It's going to be on my dime. But you just have to illustrate. Yeah, (laughs) you have to illustrate the travels. And again, Lord Byron, he traveled all over the world, and that was part of his lure. And that's what he wanted. He was like, all right, deal. I'm in. I'm going to come with you. I'm going to draw these pictures for you, and you're going to take me all over. I'm going to get to see the world for free. Which yeah, that's pretty baller. I feel that. 
So the, but the trip wasn't going as planned because Sir Thomas was more interested in just like checking the places off his list. Like, okay, we've been here, leave, let's go, leave, go leave. Versus like actually spending time. So Richard's like, what the hell? Like, what do you want me to draw? How am I supposed to illustrate these? Like, we're not staying anywhere long enough. He was able to fill, and I laughed when they were like, just a measly few sketchbooks. And I was like, I can't fill just a measly few entire 100 page sketchbooks (laughs) Sketchbooks of these beautiful illustrations, which he's going to use these sketch like the drawings is his inspiration for years to come. So throughout Europe, the trend was to get there, stay briefly, leave. And it wasn't until Richard traveled through the Middle East that he had the chance to like really drink up the culture of the cities around him. He fell in love with the Middle East. The pair started by traveling through Turkey to Damascus, followed by staying in Jerusalem. From there, they went to Jericho, where they caught a steamer, which is a boat, to Alexandria in Egypt. And they spent quite a bit of time in Egypt. He was obsessed with the culture. And this was the icing on the cake for the experience of the Middle East, which had already had such a positive effect on him and his work. It was described that he loved Cairo so much that he, quote, drank the city in like a thirst man fresh out of the desert, which I read that and I was thinking about like, even like you. So, I mean, you were, you grew up in Cali when you were younger, but like when you went to New York City in high school, moved to Cali. And then like when, you know, just recently you went to England. So coming from a small town, you get like, this place is completely different. And yeah, I mean, I feel that way even still just going in because I still live in a small town. So do you. Yeah. When you go into like the big city, you're just like, ah, it's like invigorating. It's intoxicating. Like it's, I remember when you and I went to Chicago and we're like, we're going to live here forever. This is, is and some people aren't that way. Some people are not big city. It like freaks them out, but and you would think with as much in- of anxiety as I have, like in any other situation. Maybe it's because everything is louder than your brain. Yeah. Hey, yeah. <laughs> it and it's like, it I know there, no one is giving a shit what I'm doing. And that's, I, that's true. The logical part of my brain, I know that no one is giving a shit what I'm doing anywhere else, but it's not how it works in my head. Well, small towns. Yeah. You know small how towns, You know. And even like I went to New York uh, after I graduated and I could have spent an entire year there just wandering around and just, I would have lived on the streets. Like it's the Most coolest people place. Do. It's the coolest place I've ever been. And you have to think like, this is the 1800s. So it's not like today where if I want to go somewhere, if I want to know what someone's like, I just go on, you know, Google maps and just do a street view. They couldn't do that. So he had no idea what, like he had never seen what anything Any like of these this. places were like, yeah, that yeah. would be really cool to just drop into like a completely different culture. I mean, it would be scary because you're like, whoa, but also exciting. Yeah, I I think it'd be dope. So he's going from London to Egypt, and it's obviously completely different. Richard and Sir Thomas spent their time seeing the Sphinx, the Great Pyramid of Giza, which at that time it was peak archaeological research. So like there were people everywhere. The plan following this was take the boat that Sir Thomas secured up to take it up the Nile, into Canic. And then this is where things get real weird for Richard. Spoiler alert. Getting into it. Okay. When Richard departed on the boat ride up the Nile, he was in great spirits. He had, you know, like this euphoric mindset. He was just so happy. He was on cloud nine. On this boat, he met a few older Egyptian men who were smoking, literally, it was called Hubbly Bubbly. (laughs) 
and it's an Arabic style water pipe. If you're from this area and you're listening, please reach out to us because I want to know what this is because I, I don't really know. I just kept reading like water pipe spices and I'm like, but what is it? So like a, like it? a bong? Yep. Like a okay. water bong. That's okay. why I, I picked like, when I, and that's when I looked it up, I'm like, okay, it's a water like bong. an 1800s water bong. <laughs> it's a hubbly bubbly, which is what I will be referring bong to yes, bongs from that's now what I on. Thought. I'm like, well, that's a bong now. <laughs> so Richard joined them much like, all right, I'll, t- I'll do this. Why not? And he spent the next five days straight smoking hubbly bubbly with these men. Party. The men never spoke to each other, but Richard became convinced that the bubble noises coming from the pipe were a form of communication. And if you've ever <laughs> been in the same... That was definitely... That's definitely just a bong. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I that sounds like... Maybe after five days straight. Yeah, I could see that. For sure. By the fifth day of smoking with these men, he believed that he had deciphered a message that he believed to be from the Egyptian god Osiris. He is the Egyptian god of the dead, resurrection, eternal life. I'm not going to get like far deep into Egyptian mythology because that could be like a whole other five or six episodes on its own. The Egyptian myth goes that he was murdered by his brother Seth and dismembered, and Seth is the god of disorder, which, side note, super random. As you would, I've met so many people whose name is Seth, and I'm like, yeah, they could be considered chaotic. It checks out. Like, yep. It checks out. <laughs> like, good people, but it's like chaos. Not, you know, just think. But I digress. After he believed he had deciphered this message from Osiris, Richard underwent what was described as a drastic personality change. He became delusional, increasingly violent, he began to talk of being under the influence of Osiris, that Osiris's son was in his body. He complained of headaches. And ultimately, they're like, oh, he's had a sunstroke. Let's let's take him in, the, you know, like let him rest for a little bit. Okay. When they returned to Cairo, the city that he had fallen in love with that, you know, like had given him such a euphoric feeling before, he his attitude was described as just like, meh, like, sorry, my been there, done that. Yeah. And it was like very anticlimactic. And Sir Thomas was like, no, that's not what we, I thought like we could bring it back here and like maybe he would like snap out of it. So they put him in quarantine for three weeks in Malta, which is a different country after they had left the Middle East just to give his brain a break. But if we've learned anything from this pandemic, if you're already having mental health issues and you get quarantined by yourself, you know, it's, it's gonna not going to exacerbate happen. them. Yeah. It's not going to make it any better. But to them, they're like, this is just sun-related because... 1800s. Mm-hmm. Sir, Sir Thomas wanted him better before they like left on their last leg, which was a trip through Italy and then back up to Paris. And it was here that Richard really seemed to deteriorate. After spending his time in Egypt talking extensively about Egyptian gods, he was now surrounded by all things Christian-related. And it was like his brain couldn't handle the stark differences between the two religions. And he started to insist, like anybody that would talk to him, he was like, pagan gods are far superior to the Christian God. And it didn't like you could, it didn't matter who you were. He was just like, hey, by the way. <laughs> and it's like his brain like just went into overdrive. Like he couldn't handle it. He started complaining that he was being watched by someone. Um, he decided that the person that was watching him was the devil. 
He said he saw the devil and an old English lady in a lavender silk dress, and he was very specific about that. Sir Thomas was seeing that Richard was losing it, but he's like, I don't, 1800, he's like, I don't really know what to do. Uh, Richard wrote his friend during this time that said, and he said, I have lain down at night with my imagination so full of variances that I really and truly doubt my own sanity. He started speculating that the Pope was after him <laughs> and that his only option was to attack and kill the Pope. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh at this man's mental illness. It's just it's, like, it's very extreme. Yeah. And it was like, it was, you know, quick. He was all set. He was going to attack the Pope. Like he got up there like they were in Rome. So he's like, okay, this I'm going to do it. But it's like his the fog had lifted briefly, like just enough for him to be like, wait a second. There are a ton of guards surrounding him. So he's like, okay, not a good idea. So he leaves Rome without attacking the Pope, but still convinced he's being watched by the devil. In Florence, the art galleries that Richard and Sir Thomas explored drove his mind even more mad. When he looked at the painting, uh, The Conspiracy of Catalina by Salvatore Rosa, he saw de demonic horns and occult hand gestures that he believed, like, he's like, okay, this has a deeper meaning. So, like, his brain is further, like, falling into this hole of, like, demonic possessions and the occult. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll put this painting up as well. It's, I don't know, like, the background of it, um, but it. To, like when I looked, it just looks like two men like kind of shaking hands and there's a bunch of men around them like talking. I didn't I didn't see like demonic horns on it or anything, but that's what he was convinced he was seeing. He was living in a permanent state of delusion. And at this point, they had made it to Paris and he's like, I can't take this anymore. And he went home and left Sir Thomas in Paris. So in 1841, he began his career as a promising professional artist. 1842, he travels through Europe and Egypt. And by 1843, he has returned to London completely mad. It is soon realized that his condition can no longer be chalked up to the sunstroke because at this point, that was what people were still were assuming was wrong with him. So once he got back home, he retreated to like essentially seclusion. He was paranoid that someone was watching him from his travels. Friends and family began to worry about his sanity. So they began to watch him for so any signs of mental. They were watching him. So the person who's paranoid that someone is watching him now has people watching him, which has pushed him further into this psychosis he was in. During this time, his artistic output was insane. He was taking the, all those sketches and illustrations that he made during his travels. He was turning them into like beautiful orientalist, orientalist paintings. It's a tough word to say after a couple beers. <laughs> he even reached out to Sir Thomas because Sir Thomas was pissed that he had left him in Paris. Mm -hmm. So he was like, hey, I have you know, this is my end. I have these paintings for you. Like I have the illustrations, like I promised. I have these self portraits that I've drawn of you. His father realized, and I have to say like everything that Robert dad did really seemed like he was doing everything he could for Richard. He, I mean, he moved to London. He's like, Hey, he can, I mean, he changed his entire career to be art focused and that's like not his background. Yeah. Just good dad stuff. Yeah. Good dad stuff. Especially for the 1800s. Exactly. His father realized that he needed more help than the, the self-isolation he was putting himself in. And he reached out to an 1800s psychiatrist, which and it exists at the time, so they're just called mad doctors. 
<laughs> Sounds legit. Uh-huh. Upon hearing what was going on with Richard, the doctor recommended that he be hospitalized immediately because he was suffering from such an aberration of the intellect that he feared that he would harm himself or someone else. It's not clear if Robert told Richard this, like what the doctor had recommended. All that is known is that Richard, right after this, asked his father to accompany him on a trip back to their hometown as a way to, quote, unburden his mind, which Robert used to be a a pharmacist. So he was drawing from his own medical background. And he was like, you know what? That's probably smart. We'll, you know, relax his mind, get him away from all this nonsense. We'll just give him a chance to like kind of regroup. Take a breath. Yeah, reset. So in August 1843, the two took a steamer. Again, it's a boat. To Robert's hometown of Cobham. I think I'm saying that. Cobham, Cobham. If I'm saying that wrong, please let me know. The evening they got there, which... I guess Cobham is one of Kent's most beautiful villages. Cobham Park was a setting for a Charles Dickens piece, Pickwick Papers. So cute. Another fun fact. A lot of history. There's so this much very, history. This is a very historical case yeah. here. Yeah. So the two headed to Cobham Park, and it's a park that Richard had went to frequently as a kid to sketch the paintings that he would later work on. Um, I guess that... And according to Dickens' book, Cobham Park had, quote, enough beauty to mend any broken heart. So Richard convinces his dad, let's go for a walk tonight in this park. Oh, man. It doesn't sound good. The way you said it. (laughs) Let's go for a walk. Is that better? Would that have been less? Let's go for a walk. Let's go for a lovely stroll. No, I, I was wait, I've been waiting for it. It's fine. Go yeah. on. <laughs> so at some point during the walk, Robert needed to go pee. So he turned around to relieve himself because, again, 1800s, you just go. Piss in the middle of a park. It's fine. And when he turned around, Richard attacked his father, first by striking him in the head. And then he used a razor to try to cut his father's throat but he was unsuccessful. So he then stabbed his dad several times with a folding knife. Folding knife is a razor? No, like an actual like knife. Like a shwink? Yeah. Okay. Nice. uh, (laughs) Those are our knife knife sound effects. (laughs) Two different knives. He dragged Robert's body toward a nearby ravine, but was unable to throw his body over. And according to different sources, Richard had attempted to dismember Robert's body. And if you remember previously, um, he's been saying that like the son of Osiris is like inside of him. Um, And Osiris was, according to the mythology, Osiris was dismembered by his brother, Seth. Okay. So this will all come full circle. What no one knew is Richard had already planned this whole night. It wasn't just some sporadic, you know, like sporadic, like psychotic break. I mean, his he's living in a psychotic break, but like this yeah. specific moment um, because he had a, obtained a passport two days prior and he was already on the run by the time Robert's body was found the next day, August 29th. Damn, Richard. Mm-hmm. He took a coach towards Lyon on his way to Paris, and he was apprehended after he attacked another passenger on the coach with the same razor he tried to slit his father's throat with. 
The man was badly wounded, but Richard was able to be disarmed and arrested. When he arrived at the French police station, he was promptly interviewed. And he gave his version of the last couple nights to the French police. He tells them, I am a I am the son of Osiris. My <laughs> so that man was not my father. He was an imposter. He was possessed by demons. When he turned his back, I saw black demons crawling all up his back. I relieved him of those demons. I had to relieve him of his demons. That's what he was saying. And he said um, after he relieved Robert of the demons he was possessed with, he offered a prayer out to Osiris to offer his dad as a sacrifice. In his story, he says that he killed his dad with a single he never mentions the dismemberment. He never mentions stabbing him. He says that he struck him once in the head and that was it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that wasn't true. They found a list on him of people that needed to be assassinated and released. Was the Pope demons. on there? The Emperor of Austria was where he was heading. Sheesh. Go yeah. big or go home. But he fell asleep on the coach staring at the stars. So when he woke up, like he had missed like where he was supposed to go. So he saw omens in the stars that the gods were demanding a new sacrifice, and that's why he attacked the other passenger. So after hearing this, the investigators are like, yeah, this guy is like not in the right state of mind. Call the mad doctor. <laughs> right. So they sent him to an asylum at Clermont, which is 50 miles north of Paris. And a few years prior to this, France and Britain had begun extraditing prisoners back and forth. But it still took them 11 months to extradite him back to Britain. The Ooh. French authorities had decided not to press any charges against him because of his, like, deteriorated state of mind. But they kept him locked up at the asylum for, you know, public safety concern. Yeah, obviously. He told the mad doctor that it was his sacred duty to kill all demons and anyone who might be a demon. They gave him therapy in France, which was literally just hydrotherapy. So they sprayed him with cold water. That was it. <laughs> Quotations. Therapy. Yep. <laughs> it's also called torture. Surprisingly, that did very little to improve his condition. Go figure. He maintained the mantra of like he was being called upon by the Egyptian gods. He was sent there to do his work. Finally, July of 1844, he was returned to England where, rightfully so, he faced harsh criticism over the murder of his father. Um, it was such a small community that even his friends like felt personally like victimized over this. Um, his siblings initially felt the same way, but after they went and talked to Richard, they were like, this is not our brother. Cause I guess like even his tone of voice changed. Like it was like a completely different person. Maybe he really was. I'll get to that at the end. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of his friends talked about him in past tense, like as if he were already dead because the papers assumed that he had neurosyphilis because most of the is they called him quote, lunatics at the time. That's what they had, which is just pure Regular syphilis. What's neurosyphilis? So syphilis, neurosyphilis is just syphilis, like that's never been treated with antibiotics, and that that can happen. People like that's not it makes you crazy. Not, yeah, I it's no like, idea. And back then, I mean, I know you've everyone know like back then, practically everyone had syphilis or they would get syphilis. But if it weren't treated with antibiotics, this is what could happen. Like it can affect your brain. It can affect your brainstem. It's syphilis is no joke. That's my uh, STD PSA of the year. <laughs> it's uh, I, okay. I didn't know about it until I was reading. I was reading and I was like, okay, I know that like syphilis can get like real crazy. And then I was reading. I was like, holy shit. 
He did not have neurosyphilis, by the way. Okay. Well, good for him, I guess. Yeah. He had never, you know, he did, he wasn't married. He was, he just kind of to himself, he was just this tortured artist. Well, he's a god, so. Yeah, he's a Greek or um, Egyptian god. There was a popular perception at the time that like anyone with a mental health issue, like it's just a death sentence, like, oh, you're going to die soon. And the judge. Smell you later. Sorry. The judge didn't even take this case to trial because he's like, yeah, an insanity defense is definitely going to be successful. So we're just going to send you, we're going to sentence you to life in prison at the Bedlam Asylum as like your chart's going to be marked criminally insane. The Bedlam Asylum is like famous, right? Yeah. Who else was there? Uh, you had to ask me. I know. I'm interested. Uh, James Hadfield was there. So I think like what it's famous because it's like one of the oldest psychiatric hospitals in the world. Okay. And that's the, um, so it started as like trying to like be care for, uh, poor people. Uh Um, but I guess like it was like just chaos. It is now the Liverpool street station. Whoa. From... Hospital to street station. All right. We'll yeah. take it. Mm-hmm. So for the first couple years he was there, he was still like considered very dangerous. He would attack like other patients, workers, and then he would immediately like apologize. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. It's not me guiding my hands. You know, I'm the son of Osiris. He it's dwells not- in my body. <laughs> I love That's some of these sentences this. you're saying. Yeah. They're very poetic. About a year after he arrived there, he began to paint again. And this is his most famous work had, was because the, the, they encouraged it. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, it seemed to like calm his brain. And he would frantically just be like painting. Um, his work was all from memory. It was almost all from his trip to the Middle East. Um, it seemed more mature, darker than his previous work. His final... They called it his masterwork, was the piece, The Fairy Feller's Master Stroke. It took him six years to complete. It's he went once again went back to his roots of like painting from like storybooks. And it's based um off of Romeo and Juliet. The fairy, her name is Queen Mabe, which is yeah. The it's queen. literally why I named my kid that for the record. <laughs> <laughs> the fairy midwife that birthed dreams to dreamers. And it's incredible. Like the the work, it is incredible. It's very realistic. So the Bedlam patients were eventually moved to Broadmoor Hospital. Um, he was in a block for prisoners who were not considered dangerous. Um, he lived out the rest of his days painting some things. But after he moved to Broadmoor, most of his work never passed, like progressed past the outline stage. In 1885, after a few years of gradual health decline due to lack of exercise and his just like long confinement of really not doing anything, Mm -hmm. he got sick with tuberculosis and he died on January 7th, 1886. But this is what's crazy. It's not believed, it's believed that he either suffered from bipolar disorder and was in a manic episode when he attacked his father or it's very very likely that he was schizophrenic that's what i was gonna say was he paranoid schizophrenic because so out of the seven kids that robert dad had four of them had significant mental health issues he had a brother who was admitted to bedlam at the same time he was 
a wow. sister who, like, she was normal, got married, went insane by 1853, and she was also in a, a different asylum in Scotland in 1859. And another brother who was said to have had to have, like, he had to have a private attendant. No one knows why, but it was, like, for mental health reasons. So some people are like, it thought it was all hereditary, but a lot of people believe they had mercury poisoning from the mercury that Robert was using in the gilding process for the frames that he was helping create. Because none of them had any issues until they moved to London until he started doing this. And it was all like after this like log exposure with it, which, you know, because I didn't know symptoms of mercury poisoning, but they are. Neurosymptoms can be irritability. I was going to (laughs) ask. Neurosymptoms for mercury poisoning are irritability, fatigue, behavioral changes, headaches, hallucinations. But yeah, so it's just like, it's sad to see like what mental health care used to look like. But I also want to add another potential diagnosis to the chat, and that is drug-induced psychosis. Because oh, as, yeah. soon, as soon as I read that he was smoking hubbly-bubbly for five days, you can start – if you are predisposed to any type of mental health concerns and you start smoking things like this or any mind-altering substance – hallucinogenic or open yeah. opiates were incredibly spice, popular like you yeah. know like things like spice you could start with the drug induced psychosis and it can progress to a schizophrenia diagnosis which that's what i think happened i'm not saying that the if you also add in the high exposure like the high exposure to like high levels well, that's, of mercury when you said that the mercury thing i that's i was going to ask if you move away from that does do those effects fade over time or, you know, that's that's something I'm not sure of. Yeah, but that makes more sense, the drug-induced psychosis thing. I'm with you. But he stuck – they, like, attendees at the asylum said that he would talk and you would ha- – like, what he was saying was, like, un- like, you couldn't even comprehend what he was saying. So I just watched The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, and from the parts that I wasn't covering my eyes for, I thought about this case. Like, I had already r- written it when we were watching it, and I was like – have now I'm actually now I'm actually going to add demonic possession as well to the chat because maybe <laughs> you never know. You never know. Look, uh, I I don't mess around with like those Egyptian py- pyramids and like the curses that they have and who if you're in an I've area I've seen the mummy, okay? Yes, and like if you <laughs> Yes. But if you think about it and this is all just, you know, we're you can stop listening if you're not into like the paranormal, like my <laughs> witchy things that I'm about to say. I get it. It's fine. But if you watch any movie of like paranormal-esque things, people who are having mental health issues, this is why I don't do haunted shit, guys. If you are already like not fully functioning in your brain and these dark entities can just like kind of latch on. What if that happened? You have these pyramids that they're exploring at the height of like all this archaeological stuff. Like you're just over there. It's like a you're churning it like butter. You're just pulling all this shit out that maybe should have been churning left in the out p- like butter. That's so funny. <laughs> and you should have just left all this stuff in the pyramids. Like this is I am I do not I watched the conjure this conjuring because uh I was gonna say I had we've to. had this we have yeah. we've had the scary Scary movie chat, but we don't really it. watch them. Yeah, like I cover my eyes, and then like I'll, if it, I can, you know, you can hear the music, and it gets quiet, and it's like, whoosh, 
something pops out or something like that. I don't watch any of that. But part of the reason why I don't watch it is because I fully believe it's true. And I fixate on it. I'm like, this is how I go out. I'm going to get, I'm going to get possessed. That, uh, I might have, I probably did say this story before, but the last like really scary movie I watched was Insidious and I could not sleep because I thought I was going to get stuck in my dreams or something. (laughs) Like I wasn't going to be able to wake up because I would be stuck. I don't know. It freaked me out. I have never watched Insidious. Yeah, I don't, I don't recommend it. I think so. We, I, I say watch, I use that term loosely, but I listened to a lot of this movie. I didn't watch like most, like I, if it looked scary, I was like covering my eyes. But this one was different because it focused like on the occult, which like I'm into that. Like, and it was about, oh, sorry, spoiler alert, guys. Yeah, it was about <laughs> like curses and stuff. Um, so like that part I could like get into because that really interests me. But there's just like a lot. And like it, it's sad because his you know, this best whole, work. With- this whole case sounds like a movie. Like this would make mm-hmm. a great movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe there is one. I'm not sure. I, I couldn't find one. Because usually if there is like a movie, like I'll watch it just to kind of get like the mood behind some of the things but his- I do love his paintings I did not I just mm-hmm. looked at them and they're awesome one you of his see- yeah what you can see the distinct difference of when it changes yeah you can that's what I was gonna say you you said you mentioned Titania sleeping being like his one of his first ones and it is very English mm-hmm. and then he shifts over and I when you said orientalism I was like I think I know what that is, but absolutely, yeah. It completely changes. And everyone, like everything I read about him said his dad was his, like, was his top. And until he died, like up until he died, he still never fully grasped what he did. Like he, it, that's why I was like, maybe he was possessed. It was like like another person did it. Yeah. And he just, he like never really acknowledged it. Like, as he never acknowledged it as I killed my dad. It was I killed this like I relieved this person of his demons that I could see. Cause he would say that he could see this them on person. People. This person, this man. He was an imposter. Yeah. He's not my dad. My dad is Osiris, which is sad. And then if he didn't have so many other like, you know, he has the four three other siblings that also suffered from mental health issues. Yeah, that's all at, and it's all at the same time. Like this is all within like, you know, 10 years of this is all like the same time period which is insane but the part that like i was like shit maybe he was possessed because he tried to di- like dismember his dad with like a essentially a big pocket knife and you know that's how yeah, for something that's planned out didn't seem that planned out or maybe just because he had you know he didn't really know what it was going to i, I mean he wasn't like, in the state of mind to know so no i think like i think it started to dawn like I think maybe like he had that mental break where it was like, this is not my dad because schizophrenia is no joke. Like I know we were like being kind of light about it, but like it is, it is really, it's scary. Like it's very scary. Like anyone in any type of psychosis is very scary because it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you tell them. That is, if that's not what they believe, like it doesn't matter. Yeah. That's, the, um, they're pers- one they're of pers- our listeners Shout out Shayna. She sent me a video of this, of an interview with a schizophrenic person. And it's been around forever. It had like a jillion million views. But I watched it and it made me feel like very unsettled. Mm-hmm. I, it's just, it's yeah, I don't know. I don't really know where I was going with that. Just 
It's you're right. And it's like, very serious. To be kind of vulnerable for a minute, like I have someone in my family, like not like my husband, but I have someone like in my immediate family that suffers. Um, they freshman like in high school or and like right after high school, they were smoking a lot of spice, which like at the time it was legal. But it's like it's not good. It's obviously it's not good for you. Yeah. And they are one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. Will give you the shirt off your their back, you know, like have like they, they will stop on the side of the road. And if like they see someone who like is like homeless or like needs like will immediately stop, will do anything to help. They already had some mental health issues and they pretty much trans like went into a complete drug-induced psychosis. Like they were you know, telling their parents that, you know, I know you're watching me. I know you're walking around. And they're like, what the hell? Like, no, like this is, that's not half that, that didn't happen. And like the things like they'll like text and say out of nowhere. And it's like, then they have moments of clarity where that you talk to them for hours. And like I said, it's not the same person. It's, it is not the same person. And like, there's a very solid chance that they are also like schizophrenic because, but you know, your own, their reality is so real to them. They do not believe there's anything wrong with them. And sadly, when it's a grown adult, you can't really, you just kind of have to love them it. through it. You got to love yeah. them through it, but. And hope that they can find the help thing. they need or be willing to get the help that they need. Yeah. It's a scary situation. And like, I can't even imagine like you, I can feel like if I'm having a bad, like anxiety time, and I can feel myself, like, if anyone who suffers from anxiety or anyone who suffers from, like, any type of, like, racing thoughts, you start, like, off, like, and it's, like, you snowball to something that it's, like, it could happen. And then pretty quickly, it's, like, you're in this whole other realm of scenarios that, like, logically, I know that they could never happen. And, like, I've had, like, there are times and when I can Intrusive thoughts. Yeah, I can snap myself, like, wait a second, stop. This stop can't it. happen. But there are times like, you know, I can't. And I've been like laying in bed for like three hours. Like, holy shit. Like I have already like been dead and my husband has remarried four times since I've been laying here. So like it's hard and it's. But do I you can't... haunt them? Yes. Every time. Like I've already <laughs> told him like you can get remarried, but I'm not going to make it easy for you. <laughs> I know everyone's like, I want you to be happy. If I die, I don't. <laughs> I want you to live in my memory forever. Yeah. But, like, you feel yourself slipping from reality. And, like, if you slip too far and you cannot pull yourself back, like, I can't even imagine, like, how scary, like, and how helpless of a feeling that is. Because I'm assuming at first he did, you know, he was like, this is, you know, this is getting crazy. But you go to a completely new place and, like, let's take away, like, the demonic possession. But, like, you go to this completely new place and the culture is unlike anything you've ever even heard of. The gods are unlike anything you've ever heard of. So you're like immersed in this like culture. A, a spiritual awakening. Exactly. And then immediately after, you go to the polar opposite of that. Like you're going to like Roman Catholic land. And I can see where your brain, like if you're not used to either, your brain is like, I can't, like I can't process. And then it's just like. Pow. Yeah, especially in like simpler times, you know. Yeah. Or that <laughs> you probably, you might not have ever even heard a story with that stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, well, that was the, a cool case. It's very like, historical usually, and informative. I liked yeah. it. You know, a lot of times I do like the really gory ones. And I was like, man, this is kind of 
It was good. I liked it. It's different. And also, like I said, mental health awareness. Check on your people. That's my my TED Talk. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) About Richard Dad. Um, In other news, though, thanks to all of – if you're listening from Instagram, what's up? (laughs) Hey. Hi. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. If you've been here since the beginning, extra hey to you guys. We <laughs> if it weren't for like the originals and everyone, anyone who's listening to this, who've like listened like since the beginning, like you know, who, like you know we, who you are. You know who you are. But if it weren't for those like consistent listeners from the beginning, we probably would have given up. <laughs> I'm a fair. results. <laughs> I'm a results type of brain. Megan probably would not have let me, but I've been like, I quit. <laughs> I'm done. Well, that was our whole goal. Well, that was my whole goal. Maybe not yours. It's just always been just be consistent. Just yeah. Even and if you don't want to, just do it. And we we've had some technical difficulties, and it's we <laughs> have heard them. <laughs> you've heard them. We've had, you know, Meg is a full time like busting her ass full time student. Um, I work and do a lot of shit there and I take classes and I do a lot of my help. I mean, I help my husband with a lot of his classes and we all have kids and then spring came and it's sports and yikes. Ugh. So thanks Ugh. for speaking with We us. only want to do this. <laughs> we don't want to do any of the other things. So thanks guys. But what guys. the point is, thanks so much. We yeah, love we you, really- truly. And the growth that the the growth that we've had, and I'm not trying to brag because honestly, it's so surreal to us. The very first week that we put out the episode, we were like, "Okay, we've had a hundred listeners." And I remember texting Meg and being like, "Oh my god, we had a hundred people listen to us in ten days, which is cool. It's still this cool is to me. insane." And honestly, I'm just as proud of that as now when I look at it and I'm like, we've had thousands and thousands of people. It's only mildly triggering (laughs) to me. I just, it's cool. I am very excited about it. Keep sending us your recommendations. I know that Meg and I both are going to cover some of those here soon. We plan out so far ahead, but like we're finally catching up to like what listener, because for a while, like we had a few like recommendations, but like the big ones. I know like we've said this a million times, those are going to be on our um, Patreon, like most likely we may cover a big one here and there, but it's hard. We don't want to give you oversaturated content. We don't want you to listen and be like, oh my God, they cover the same cases as everybody else. Which is like, it's yeah. hard not to like, yeah, some cases we you're just talked hear. that there are like 5,000 true crime podcasts legitimately. It's pretty crazy. Also, yesterday I sent out, actually it was technically this morning, I sent out all of our sticker of the month club members on our Patreon. So you should be getting your sticker this week, possibly next week if the mail is slow. And they're very cool this week. I'm very proud of them. Yeah, they're they're dope. She went above and beyond. I am so proud that you take care of all that stuff. Keep Keep your eye out. I'll show you on the thingy here. There it is. I just happen to have one in my hand. Ooh, if you're ooh. on a Patreon, you can see it. Yeah. Before. Or maybe. I don't know. I don't know when this video is going to get posted. <laughs> Actually, I kind of thought about surprise, just like uploading it right now. Do it. We're doing it. Early. Early episode for Patreon subscribers. Oh, oh. Surprise, Shani. Surprise. <laughs> we love you guys. This is what you get. But anyways, thanks YouTubers. for listening.
Thank you. That's it for today. Thank you all so much for listening to Gruesome True Crime with me, Connie, and Meg. We appreciate every single one of you. We truly do. If you actually like us and you're not just trying to seduce and murder us, you can follow along or see extras from the show on our Instagram at Gruesome Podcast. Or if you want to tell us our skin would make a nice lampshade, or if you have follow-up questions about the episode, follow the form on our website, gruesomepodcast.com, and email us. We love hearing from you guys. You can listen to Gruesome at the links listed on that website, or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you normally get your podcast fill. Thank you again. Be sure to subscribe. Check your back seat before you get into your car. And remember that on Wednesdays, we're, we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. Bye.